I think that there is a time and a place for creating your own assets as well when you need to, but don't waste your time when it's not necessary. Welcome to Design Life, a podcast about design and side projects for motivated creatives. My name is Femke. And my name is Charlie. Today we're going to be talking about an important part of the design process that I don't think we've really covered before on this show, and that is working with other people to get the content for the thing that you're designing. We've done episodes talking about working with developers, which comes on the kind of the other side of designing once it's ready to be built, working with developers on that handoff and things like that. But before that, there's a lot of other people you have to work with and things that you have to source in terms of the actual content for your design, whether it's copy, illustrations, photography. We're going to be talking about that today, our experiences with it, and how some people, maybe when you're getting into the design industry, don't quite realize that you're going to have to be working with other people on those things. So, should be a good topic of discussion, but first off, Em, how have you been going How's the projects and things? Uh, you did a really good newsletter the other day, I just wanted to say, with your... Oh, thanks. Uh, like, all the list of all the things you use, talking about your backpack and things like that. Really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I finally published a blog post, which is Woo-woo. cool. I hadn't published in a little while. I was busy focusing on other things. But yes, I published a big write-up of, like, all the things that I use. I always find it really interesting hearing what things other people use, like what hardware they have, what software they have, what are like their stationary picks or their things on their desk or things in their backpack that they enjoy using. So I thought I'd kind of document all the stuff that I use and do a big write-up about it. And yeah, finally published that and sent out a newsletter, which is really fun. And it's cool like hearing uh, responses from people who are like, oh, that's so cool. I, I use that too. Or I've been wanting to try that for a while. So yeah, that's really, really fun. So yeah, finally published that, which is really, really good. Um, also update, I have been consistently running so far. <laughs> yes, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> yes. So I ran three times last week. This week. Well done. I know. Thank you. It's it's quite an achievement for me. <laughs> this week, I've only ran once so far. It's Wednesday morning as we're recording this. So there's still time in the week to get two more runs in. But yeah, I've been using the Nike Fit app and I discovered that some of my friends are also using it. So we kind of like all added each other and now we like egg each other on and like like each other's runs. So that's great. That's like a nice little bit of extra motivation for me that has been really fun. Awesome. I'm very, very proud of you for that. That's great. Oh, thank you. How how are things going with you? I know that you're working quite a bit on uh, like the book for the Kickstarter that you did at work. How's that going? Oh my gosh, I'm just remembering all the things about print design like that I have completely forgotten that you have to deal with <laughs> when <laughs> I moved to digital. Like just like printing out a million copies of something, trying to decide on exactly the font size. Like should it be 11.5? Should it be 12? Should it be 12.5? Should I have 17 point letting? Should I have 16 point letting? Oh my gosh, all these minute decisions like that you're printing out and like looking at in front of you. Yeah, it's a lot. It's been a lot of work, but I am still enjoying it. Uh, There's a very tight deadline coming up. So I'm, to be honest, spending a lot of my time on that. Like, I I don't know, I worked till like 8 p.m. last night. Oh, wow. On work stuff. So side project things have been suffering slightly. But um, I am working with with the Webflow team on another video. They sponsored one a couple weeks back, which is pretty cool. Cool. And they're sponsoring another one coming up. So I'm like preparing and writing for that at the moment. It's really fun, I think, to work with 
a sponsor on a YouTube video when they're a cool one who'll have like meetings with you to talk about content and that sort of thing. Like uh, the Webflow team is um, working with Tim there because it's pushing me to make videos that perhaps I wouldn't have normally put the time into, to be honest. Like just to get super honest, like tutorials are a lot of work and it's nice to have like some accountability there for making them because I know the video is going to be super useful. It's just that if it was just me by myself, I would make excuses and, you know, do an easier video because it takes up less time, you know? Right. So yeah, I think it's going, it's going good and I'm enjoying it. So things are just moving slower than I would like because I'm spending a lot of time on work stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And I know that you also have some conferences coming up too, right? So just to add more to your plate, as if you don't already have enough, are you already working on preparing for those as well? Yeah, so I'm focusing my time on preparing for my craft and commerce talk, which is our conference. Um, that one I feel a lot of pressure for and I, like, I don't know, feel a bit more out of my depth than I do for the other one coming up, which is a workshop about design for bloggers at Blogtacular, which is like a blogging conference here in London. Um, that one I feel like I can I can nail because, you know, design, talking about design 101, I, I've done that a few times now and feel really confident about it. But yeah, this craft and commerce talk, I want it to be really good. I'm definitely in the stages. It's like it's nowhere near done, but I have a structure at least. And I'm now refining and going to be working with a speaker coach. I think I have a meeting next week to go through it, which would be great. Oh, a speaker coach. That's cool. Have you worked with a speaker coach before? I have not, but this is something that we at ConvertKit, when I say we, that's what I mean, um, offers to all of its main stage speakers is a session with the speaker coach to either go through your an existing talk and like give uh, suggestions for improvements on it or whatever. Or if you're writing a new talk, he can have a chat with you about the like structure in general and, and give advice on that side of it. So I'm, I'm doing the latter option because this is a completely new talk for me. And I think it's going to be really valuable. I'm really excited to, to have the opportunity. So yeah, I want to make the most of it and make sure I've got something good ready to talk through with him, you know? Yeah, that sounds so useful. And that's kind of related to what we're going to talk about today and the fact of like working with other people on projects, right? Nice segue, nice segue. I try, I try, I try. <laughs> that was not planned, but I mean, so yeah, today we want to talk about working with other people, particularly sort of content related things like illustrators, copywriters, people like that. I assume, Charlie, that you have had to work with these people before, right? Yeah, for sure. It was quite an interesting shift for me actually going from design school, right, where you handle everything to do with the project. You have to write copy for it and it can't just be lorem ipsum. You have to either, I don't know, get an article from somewhere that you're laying out for a typography piece or something like that and you have to do all of the imagery yourself. Especially in tech, I think, with web design and you know, illustration being rife in, in software landing pages, I don't think some people realize that it's sometimes not the person who designed the page who also did the illustrations. It's amazing if you do have that talent. And Mackenzie Child, who works at Padilla, which was formerly known as Coach, is amazing at this. Like He's this amazing web designer and an amazing illustrator, and I'm forever in awe of his work. Yeah, so jealous. <laughs> but yeah, personally, don't really have the illustration skills. Um, I definitely tried when I was at Zero. I did all the illustrations that I needed on the page myself. Um, and it was definitely a challenge. Like it was the hardest part of the design for me. Um, I haven't actually worked with the illustrator now, 
but I would be open to it, you know, like at ConvertKit, if we decided the illustration was a route we'd go down, we would definitely be able to hire an illustrator or maybe work with someone else on the team to get, to get that part of the design. What about you? Have you done that before? Yeah. So at Uber, we have a whole illustration team. Of course uh, you do. <laughs> I bet it's like a hundred people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the, the count, but it's definitely a group of people and not just one person. Yeah. Uh, and while I would love to give it a go of doing the illustrations for my design, I think that the illustration team is much more better suited to, you know, creating the illustrations and especially working at a big company like this, where we have very defined brand styles, brand guidelines, illustration style, you know, the brand and illustration team knows knows about that so well that they are way more better suited to creating illustrations that align with the brand and things like that. So I definitely leave that to them, uh, which means that when I am designing, I... I previously I used placeholder imagery uh, so I would just grab something like an illustration or something that already existed and just kind of use it uh, to show like you know here's where an illustration will be but I noticed sort of as I was starting to work with engineers that they were interpreting that as the final illustration. Right it's the same as placeholder copy issue this is fascinating keep going. (laughs) So yeah they were thinking that that was the actual illustration so then I swapped it out for gray box and I was like okay I'll put a gray box here instead but then they interpreted that as just blank space uh, (laughs) and so didn't realize that that was where an illustration would be. So I haven't quite found a solution yet because that's kind of where I'm the latest of where I'm up to with that uh, issue but yeah, so I mean, when I'm designing, I'm either using placeholder imagery or, or something in place of where that illustration is going to go. But I haven't yet figured out the best way because, as as a designer, it's nice to have a like temporary illustration. I feel because you can kind of get an idea of like the busyness and what it might look like. But I can understand that as an engineer, maybe that's not so helpful because you're thinking that that's the actual final illustration. So yeah, I haven't quite figured out a middle ground yet for how to represent illustrations in my designs so that I can accommodate to the different people that are involved. But yes, long story short is I I do work with illustrators and also copywriters as well uh, to, yeah, it's big sort of more collaborative effort. While I would love to have my hands all over it, uh, it, I definitely don't have the time or the expertise to do it all. I'm curious to know where does the illustration, hey, fit into the process because we talked in the previous episode I think it was about the design handoff with developers is there like a handoff to illustrators because for me all of the content stuff has kind of come I think like you said in the intro before it goes to development but it sounds like perhaps you might finish your part and part of it goes to the developers and part of it goes to the illustrators would that be fair to say yeah so illustration is kind of happening in parallel of okay. engineering work so yeah interesting i sort of do like the official handoff like hey this is ready for engineers to start getting going and then parallel at the same time i fill out a brief to the illustration team they have like a whole google form where you you know they ask all these questions and you put in all this information about the project and the deadlines and the style you want or the message you want to convey, how many illustrations you need and things like that. And so in parallel, I sent that brief. Then I had a call with them and we discussed when they'd be able to start. Then I also created a uh, sort of 
not a template, but like the screens that require illustrations, I put them in a, like a file for them, a sketch file where it's like, okay, here's the screens. Here's where the illustrations need to go. This is also the final copy because for them, I think it's useful to have final copy because the, the illustration has to kind of help convey or match what the copy is saying. Right. So yeah, I make sure that the illustration illustration team has everything that they need and then they kind of do their bit and that's where we are actually right now in my project they're busy working I haven't seen anything yet so I don't know how the rest is going to go but yeah it's it happens in parallel of engineering effort cool you mentioned copy then and that seems like a good chance to move into talking about working with copywriters I did a tweet the other day talking about placeholder copy because what I do when I'm making a design is I will write, I think my example was, title about how we are here to support you on your journey, but not as cheesy as that. Oh, yeah. I saw this <laughs> and I loved it. It's like a great alternative to lorem ipsum, I think. Yes. And I do this for like body copy too, I suppose, or like, you know, paragraphs or sentences, whatever. I'll kind of write a dummy sentence to indicate what kind of content will go here like something here talking about our deliverability rates and helping ease any confusion and if then I don't think that it looks long enough like I think it might require more than that I'll just repeat the sentence right, right. so that it's not lorem ipsum but it's still obviously not being suggested as final copy because I don't want that confusion like you were having with your engineers about the illustration right I don't want anyone to think that this is the final copy so yeah if you make something very obviously not <laughs> then yeah how do, how do you work with placeholder copy? Yeah, so early in the project, like when I'm just like still figuring out the flow or how the screens are going to, like what's going to be the content on the screens, I, I do something similar. So I will similarly write like some interesting copy here about blah or whatever. But then usually pretty early on, we already start doing user testing and so to do user testing, you want to have a somewhat decent copy in there uh, because lorem ipsum or like random titles are not going to cut it. So we actually like start diving in pretty early, I would say. I wish I could say that we were already working with a copywriter by this stage, but we weren't. Uh, ideally, we would have that resource more available to us as a team. But it was basically just me and the other designer and researcher that I was collaborating with. We would just, you know, try different copy, write sentences that we thought made the most sense and test it and then realize like, okay, maybe that wasn't quite good there. Change it, test it again. And so it was it was both a test of like not only just the design, but also the copy, right? Like what kind of things make sense? What kind of words could we use? How do they associate with this word if this is the word that we used? Uh, and to add to the complexity, everything had to be translated for this project into Spanish. Oh my gosh, of course. <laughs> yeah. So that was extra complex, not only in terms of time and like translating it, but also in terms of like, okay, well, I could write this and it makes a lot of sense in English, but how is this interpreted in Spanish? So that as well adds extra complexity. And for us, it was a lot of trial and error. And we, we noticed, you know, we would use some phrases, translate them into Spanish, and then the person would get really confused because the context isn't the same. So that's definitely a learning experience. And I think it would be, it would have been much more helpful to have a copywriter like early on in that stage and maybe also someone with a bit more Spanish speaking knowledge that could help kind of guide the conversations that we were having. 
when you do get your final copy and like work with a copywriter, is it a Spanish speaker who writes in Spanish or is it English copy that's written and then translated? It is English copy that's written and translated, but the reason that we decided to do it that way is because what I'm designing will also be in English. Right. So if what I am designing is, for example, let's say only ever going to be in Spanish, then I think we would have definitely just gone straight with Spanish from the start because that makes more sense. But because this is going to be reused in different languages, we start with English because, you know, it's it's the easiest for us. Yeah, makes sense. But yeah, now like we are sort of more in the final stage where the copy is pretty much done and the way we've been doing it is we have had a giant Google Doc with on the right hand side is all of the screens and then on the left hand side is like little tables and there's like a new table line for each text string that's on the screen. So like there's like H1, H2, body, whatever. And then we're working like daily with the copywriter, like leaving comments, talking about like, oh, should this say done or okay? Or like, how does how does the copy on here relate to this screen? And let's make sure the copy is consistent. So like here when we're saying due and here where we're saying due on, like let's choose one and make sure it's consistent. And so that's been going on for at least a month, if not two. Wow. It's very different, obviously, from web design copy, which is more about communicating a message rather than um, I don't know, the actions that the user is taking, I guess. I mean, obviously that's part of it too, but yeah, it's more about explaining the product or whatever. I learned early on at zero when I did most of my web design learning, really, so that's why I mention it so much, that getting content and copy for a website was actually broken into two stages, content and copy. Oh, tell me more. To start designing, right, I don't need the final copy. I don't need the final exact words that are going to be on this page. But what I do need is to know what you want to even talk about on this page. So I need to know, we're going to talk about deliverability, for example, is the thing I mentioned before and popped into my mind again. We need a section about this. We needed a section about this. We probably need to say a paragraph or two about this. You know, someone who has done the research and decided what content needs to go on this page so that I know what content I'm actually supposed to be designing. Then I can lay it out and decide, like, if this thing is going to be the classic, like, three points across with an icon above, if this thing is going to be, like, a bigger block of content with an image beside it. And then the copywriter can go in knowing the kind of, like, space that they're working with um, and the hierarchy that I've kind of established through the design and write the final words based on that. Whereas if you get the final words straight away, sometimes, especially if the person writing it isn't used to writing websites in particular, you can get copy that's much longer than it needs to be and you know headings that are much longer than they need to be written more like an article than like a web page. So yeah, that's the process that I've been working to breaking it down. Now that I'm at ConvertKit though, I'm kind of the person who is doing the content side of things, like working with other people on my team obviously as well to figure out exactly what needs to go on the page. It's kind of one of the things I like about being in-house is that you can have yeah, you know, at a small company, especially a bit more autonomy. Yes, a say over these things as well, because like I have opinions over what we should tell people on our homepage, for example. That's been that's been kind of great to to have more of a say there, but it's still the same thing in that it's placeholder text for a while, just showing what kind of content will go on there, and then we'll bring in a copywriter, just like you. I'd love to have one much earlier on in the process, but it's a very limited resource for us, and so yeah, not not possible at the moment, unfortunately. 
Yeah, but it makes sense. I think it's a good start to have an outline of like what the general message is that we should be telling here, right? And I've struggled with that a little bit in the past in freelance projects that I've done. I don't know if you've had similar experiences, but I think I've had experiences where the client basically thinks that they, they're just handing me, you know, a thing and then they no longer have any involvement and just expect to receive a final thing at the end. But really, I mean, if you're doing something like a website, especially a marketing website, this, there should be a lot of collaboration there, right? Like the client obviously knows best about their product or their service and you want to make sure that you create a website that, you know, tells the right story and tells the right message. And as a freelancer, it's hard to know what that is. And so, yeah, I've found in the past that uh, working with clients on on web design, they don't assume, I guess, that it's, well, they don't realize how much of a collaborative effort it should be in order to make it successful. Yeah, totally. Because a client just can't say, I need a landing page for this product. Right. Like, I don't know what you want it to say. <laughs> they need to also say it should convey this message. Uh, we want to get these points across. These are some of the features we want to call out. And yeah, it might take you asking questions, I guess, around that, um, which I guess I kind of do with my team too, except instead of starting from a blank slate, I make a stab at it first and then we'll be like, does this content look right to you? Is there anything missing? Anything you think we should talk about instead or like the order changed or whatever? And it gives them the starting point, making it easier for feedback. But I don't think that that can be something you do as a freelancer because first of all, it just takes up so much more of your time to do all the research necessary to fully understand the product um obviously you want to do a little bit but i think that the client should pay more if you're also figuring out the content of the page you know yeah no totally i mean while we like to think we're experts in everything we're not right so you may as well leave it up to the expert who knows the most about the thing that you're selling or designing or whatever to sort of guide that uh, something else that we have to do at uber uh, for copywriting in this process is get a legal review I assume you do not have to do that at ConvertKit. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should though. <laughs> well, I, I don't know, but I guess we're such a large company and blah, blah, blah. And so everything has to go through legal, uh, which means that, you know, sometimes you can have copy that you're really happy with and then legal's like, we cannot say this because, oh. you know, X, Y, Z or whatever. Uh, so that is also an additional challenge where you're like, you know, you're at the end and you're like, oh my gosh, finally, we spent two months on this and we think it's great. And it's, you know, we think it's perfect. And then, yeah, there is something that legal doesn't approve. So that's also like another thing that we have to keep in mind and an extra step, you know, that we have to go through that can make it take a little bit longer than normal. I think the part that I was, I was most surprised as a designer to learn you didn't have to do yourself. And what I still see other new designers be surprised about to me is photography I get people commenting on like when I've made videos doing something or like when I talk about using stock image sites like Unsplash or Death to Stock, people are like, uh, but don't you have to take the photos yourself for your design? Otherwise, did you really design it? And I'm like, yes. Wait, really? That's a question? Like, did you really design it if it's not your photo? Yep. Well, I don't know if they say exactly that, but they think that you're like cheating somewhat is uh... the overall sentiment that you haven't done it all yourself, you know? Uh, and that's not the case. Of course you should use external assets from people who are much more talented than you or even not even doesn't even have to be more talented, just has already created it. So there's no point in you recreating something that is already the exact thing you're looking for. You don't make a new font for yourself every single time you start a project, right? You're not going to invent a new color. 
You might even use uh, icons is another thing I think that people are surprised about that you can use as an asset. I use noun project all the time because mostly they're very simple shapes that there is no point in me drawing myself when someone else has already done it. And it's perfectly legal. I am paying for the rights to use them. So why the heck not? <laughs> yeah, that is so interesting. I didn't realize, like, to me, it's like, duh, kind of like no brainer. And we do this every week with our podcast too. Like our artwork that we release for each episode comes from Unsplash. I mean, it's so much effort to do it yourself and it's also expensive, right? Like if you're searching for a particular look or a particular style or something and that already exists and there's the perfect image out there and, you know, there's an ability for you to use it, then obviously that is great. Uh, I haven't used photography in my projects so far at Uber, but we recently had an event, a meetup that we had about a month ago. And for that event, I really wanted to document it. And I thought, yeah, sure. Like I can walk around with my phone and like take some photos, but you know, I want to be able to enjoy the event. I was also speaking and organizing. So I was already busy. And also like, I wanted the photos to be, you know, professional and nice and things that we could use online. And so I hired a photographer to come and take photos. And then I also hired uh, two guys to come and uh, video the thing so that we could have a video highlight reel. And so, you know, like when in doubt, like, I don't know, trust the professional, I guess, is, is my motto, right? Like, I can try and make the video myself, but it's going to be really shit. And I would rather spend my time, you know, doing other things. So, yeah, I mean, if you have the resources, then work with the people who are experts at it. But if you don't have the resources, you know, then then I'd suggest like maybe turning to something like Unsplash, if that makes sense for your context and seeing if you can find something that already exists. Yeah, I think the danger with stock photography can be when it looks too generic. And like the woman laughing at salad thing that I think I've I love it. I love it. I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, those hilarious cheesy stock photos. Yeah, you got to be careful because you don't want it. You don't want people to be distracted by the fact it's a stock photo, right? It should kind of blend into the background and and just give the essence of what you were trying to convey with a photo, rather than yeah overtake. I, I've done a video about this that maybe I'll link in the show notes about how and when to use stock photography, but I think that there is a time and a place for creating your own assets as well when you need to, but don't waste your time when it's not necessary. Like I'm remembering back to when I was an editor, I redesigned the jobs like section. And I just had this idea in my head for a video header that was like a static camera pointing down like a row of desks and my workmates just like working at their desk, talking to each other or whatever on a loop as a silent video background. And so obviously can't get a stock no. <laughs> image of that because it's not my workmates and we could have had fake people, but that just didn't go with our brand essence and things, you know? And so I filmed it, I set up the camera, got my workmates and we made this looping video that I could put in the header and it turned out, you know, exactly like I hoped and it was worth putting the time in because that thing was so unique. But like, I don't know, if you just need a photo of some buildings because you're working on a law site and they, you know, want to convey that they're a big business or whatever... Of course, use an un unsplash image or something like that. You don't need to go and take your own building photo if, you know, especially if the client isn't really paying you enough to warrant going out there on a special trip to make your own assets. Make use of, of stock stuff when you can. What about icons for you, Fem? Is that something you create yourself or do you lean on icon sets or anything? Nope, I don't make them myself. We have a designated icon designer. Of course you do. <laughs> Not a team? Not a whole team? He actually sits opposite me. No, he's like the icon guy. Oh. 
yeah, it's actually quite cool, like having direct access to him, like everyone else in San Francisco and wherever has to like, you know, get his attention other ways, but he just sits opposite me. So I'm like, yo, I need this icon. So that's really helpful. Um, so no, I do not create my own icons. We have like icon sets for different products, if that makes sense. So like we don't have like a global icon set. We have an icon set for the driver app. We have different icons for the rider app and the eats app and things like that. So there's a lot of assets there that needs to be managed. Um, and yeah, we custom create them ourselves including like stuff for maps uh, there's a lot of icon iconography and maps if you've ever opened up google maps you'll you'll know what i mean but yeah i was going to say also about the photography thing is well i agree that using stock imagery can be you know a, a nice quick quick route and an easy route uh, for for your project i'd also mention that like it can it can be painfully obvious when it's done wrong. Yes. And I guess what I mean by that is like there are a few images out there or a handful of images that I have seen a hundred times on different websites. Uh, and so just be aware of those. Like if an image is really being overused, then it kind of makes your website just a little bit less original, I feel. And then the other thing I was going to say is – well, this is the thing actually that I struggle with when using things like Noun Project or, or Unsplash. Like if you're using multiple of them on a site, I struggle to make it feel cohesive. Right. If you know what I mean? Like things like icons, you ideally want them to all be in a similar style or like kind of be vaguely representative of a family. Same with imagery. You kind of want to go for the same mood, things like that. So I just keep that in mind as well of like what is the overall feeling I guess of the assets that you're using and try if you can to kind of make it feel cohesive although I know that that's hard if you're pulling things from different sites or from different photographers or icon designers for example that that is a bit of a challenge. Though sometimes it's about starting with that base and then making edits to it right to make it fit with the rest because absolutely I agree you need to make everything cohesive uh, so that doesn't mean you can pull this icon from Noun Project and not touch it. Like if the stroke needs to be just a little bit thinner to match with the rest of your icons, edit that stroke, you know, make the changes that you need because you've got that base shape to start with and it's pretty easy to make edits from there. I always find myself doing that because it's hard to find icons in a complete set that fit exactly what I need, you know, and so I'm always adapting ones that I find on there. Yeah, that that's good too. Like that's a good reminder to be flexible and... Yeah, also be creative, as we know that everyone listening to this is. <laughs> yeah, the point is that you don't need to waste your time on nitty-gritty details like that, especially in the like design phase when you're experimenting with ideas and things. You shouldn't be wasting your time perfecting an image or perfecting an icon, so that's why grabbing something can be really great or using placeholder copy or whatever. And sometimes you get to the end of you know, the design phase, you're happy with the layout and you're perfecting the assets and it turns out those things you grabbed are the right ones. Sometimes you might have to change them or tweak them or maybe create them yourself, but yeah, use them to your advantage to speed up your process, basically. Yeah, perfect. I can't think of any other content people that I work with other than copy and illustration is definitely the main one. Is there any anyone else that you work with? Not in general. I think we, we hire contractors for like, yeah, things like writing and, and videographers, things like that. But mostly it comes down to the same thing. It's if you're going to hire someone else to do it, or even if it's an internal hire, you know, like you talking to another team, you have to give them a brief, tell them what you want to fit with your design. And 
yeah, they can go and create it for you. And I think collaborating like that is great and it lets us all play to our own strengths. Totally. Perfect. Okay, so where can people go to listen to more episodes like this awesome one? You can head to designlife.fm to listen to all of our episodes or you can just head to your nearest podcast player, type in Design Life and you know what? We should show up. And if we don't, let us know because we've obviously missed one. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on Twitter. We are at Design Life FM. And also, if you feel inclined and you've been enjoying these episodes, then please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the show out there. And for people that are looking for something new to listen to, that's also super helpful for them. And I have one review that I'd like to read out, if that's okay with Ooh, you. Surprise review. Charlie. I love it. Yes, surprise it. review. <laughs> So this is from Ray's Place in Space, and they say, I listen to this podcast because I can see my own journey in Charlie and Femke as they are also motivated creatives at the start of their careers. I love that the podcast not only talks about design, but the journey around it, including the highs and the lows, which we all have and experience. This podcast always makes me feel motivated, but it also makes me feel normal. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> love it. That's so great. Yeah. Thank so you, Ray, for taking the time to leave that. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. All right, Fem. Well, yeah, if anyone else wants to leave a review, we'd really appreciate that as well. And maybe you'll hear it read out on the show. Yeah, special, special. <laughs> okay, talk to you next week. All right, bye. Bye.